So I, I titled this message, uh, Responsibility and Accountability. Responsibility and Accountability. Now, when you look at those two words, they have one thing in common. Uh, the suffix, the, the, the last part of those two words is what? Ability. Ability. What is ability? That is that which you possess to be able to accomplish that which is needed. Okay? So, now we're going to... Um, and these two words... Um, in our society today, they're not, they're not popular. Uh, they never have been. And the reason I say they never have been, because if you look all the way back at the beginning of mankind, you see Adam and Eve. And God gave them what? Responsibility. And then Satan entered into the picture and deceived Eve, and she sinned. And so, but, but God, he went to, to Adam. And Adam, instead of taking what? Responsibility, he blamed Eve. And then when God went to Eve, instead of her, instead of her being accountable for her actions, what did she do? She blamed the serpent. So in, in, in society... Today, it's even more prevalent where people are quick to blame others for their problems. Is that true? I, I was looking up some popular excuses, uh, quotes that were, and just to read a couple, few off to you, it says, if you really want to, to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. You can make excuses or you can get the job done, but you can't do both. Two wrongs don't make a right, but they make a good what? Excuse. <laughs> he that is good for making excuses is seldom, seldom good for anything else. And this last one, excuses are nothing more than a reason to fail. Is that true? Yeah. Excuses. The point here is that nothing gets accomplished by way of making excuses. It keeps us, keeps us stuck in our present situation with no progress or deliverance in sight. Now, will this type of reasoning or and or excuses, does that suffice in the eyes of God? No. No, never has, never will. And yet people, even believers, what, use them. Even Christians use them. So we're going to define these two words, responsibility and accountability, and then um, we'll go into it a little, little more, more depth. So I looked up the definition of responsibility. It is a duty or an obligation to satisfactorily perform or complete a task assigned by someone. I'll read that again. It is a duty or an obligation to satisfactorily perform or complete a task. And the different areas... That are, it says assigned by someone. So if your boss were to assign you to take care of a certain task, you are now what? Responsible, right? That person who is in the authority or in charge gives you a task to carry it out. You then become responsible. Another uh, area of responsibility could be in that created by one's own promise. That is, if you tell someone that you're going to do something, um, say, you know, Sister Brenda would, would say to the pastor, Pastor, I'm going to come up and get the, um, the pantry set up. And pastors, you're like, okay, thank you, Sister Brenda. She's now made herself, what, responsible. 
to, to, for that to be carried out. Or another example or instance could be um, by way of circumstance. What I mean here is, let's take a, a relationship. Two people, man and woman, get married, right? They are now what? Responsible for that other person. It's not something that they had to say or to each other. It's now assumed, okay? You have children. You don't have to say, well, I'm going to do this and this and this. With the child, it's already, what, assumed that you're going to take care of that child and provide for them what they need. So those are all uh, instances of responsibility. So how does accountability factor into that? Well, accountability is the state of being liable or answerable. Taking ownership for what you do and being able to give a satisfactory explanation for it. All right, I'll read that once more. It is the state of being liable or answerable, taking ownership for what you do and being able to give a satisfactory explanation for it or to the degree for which it happened. So you've been tasked with something that makes you responsible. Whether or not you carry it out, then that makes you what? Accountable. Okay? Or whether it was completed. Okay? Do you have to give an answer as to what you did in that situation? Okay? All right. So, um, so the responsibility is the person or group who is in charge of the task. I mentioned accountability is the person or group who will make good on the completion or in some cases, take the blame when things don't go well. Okay? All right, so the main difference between responsibility and accountability is that responsibility can be shared. Okay, so the group can take, all take responsibility for, for, making, for getting something done, while accountability is an individual thing taking ownership for oneself, okay? And being accountable not only means being responsible for something, but also and ultimately you have to answer for those actions, okay? So I wanted to um, give a biblical example, because there are examples all throughout the Bible um, where God is making a point about being responsible and being accountable. And the one for which I came up with or, or was giving to me um, was Joshua chapter 7. Now, we're going to go into what happened here in Joshua 7. But before we begin reading the scripture, I want to explain to you a little background about what's taking place. Okay, so back in Joshua 6, chapter 6, we know that Moses has, has died. Um, God has anointed Joshua to lead the tribe of Israel. And he, and he had given to them the promised land. All they have to do now is go and what? And take it. And that God was going to be with them. And so when they, when they went into the, into the land, uh, well, the, their first battles, they came up against Jericho. We all know the story about Jericho and the great wall of Jericho and Joshua in the battle of Jericho, how the Israelites walked around the wall, right, for seven days and how the, how the priests were leading with blowing of the trumpet and the carrying of the ark. And they had each day, they had to walk around one time while the priests were blowing the trumpets. And then on the seventh day, they had to walk around seven times. And then once the priest blew the trumpet, they were to let out a shout. And once they let out the shout, that, that was a, a sign that God had given them the city. And they, the walls collapsed. They went in and conquered Jericho. All right? So God had given them this great victory. And 
and of course they were, you know, uh, excited and celebrated and, and about all that they saw God do, because this Jericho was a mighty city. And so after Jericho's defeat, then they had to continue on with the conquest. And there was a small town called Ai, and Ai was a little west of Jericho. And so Joshua sent some spies to go check out this little village called Ai. And when the spies came back from Ai to report to Joshua about the people and how much of a, uh, a, a battle it would be, they said, well, Ai is just a small town, you know, a little area, nothing big, you know, nothing to worry ourselves about. So let's just send about two, maybe 3,000 men, armed men, and we should be able to easily take care of Ai, okay? All right, so uh, Joshua taking heed to them, he did as, you know, he, he took heed and, and, and he did as they suggested, that this wasn't going to be a problem. But what Joshua didn't know is that there was sin in the camp. That Israel had committed a great travesty. And he being responsible, the leader, didn't know about it. And so here they are. They're ready to continue on fighting more battles and, 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 and um, getting all the land that God promised them so that they can establish themselves as a great nation. So let's look in Joshua 6. Joshua chapter 6. In verse, beginning verse 17. This is what was said to the Lord had said concerning uh, Jericho. And these were the instructions that God had given Israel upon their conquest in Jericho. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, he says, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, and it and all who are in it, only Rahab, the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. Now, you're going to see that word accursed as you look in chapter 6 and 7. The word accursed means forbidden or devoted. These were the things that were of, of value but they were used either in pagan rituals uh, or, or idol worship. And God didn't want Israel to have any of those things. He didn't want them to, to even touch their hands. That all the, these things, even if they were of value, were to be destroyed. Okay? So, verse 18 again. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed. When you take of the accursed things, I'm reading New King James, and make the camp of Israel what? A curse. So when God told him in Deuteronomy, he said, I put before you blessings and what? And curses. His desire is to what? Is to bless them. But when they don't obey, God has no choice but to bring about a curse. He says, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated, right? They are holy to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of who? Of the Lord. They, they are to come into the treasury of the Lord. Now, let's go to chapter 7 and verses 1 and 2. So keeping in mind, that's what God told them when they were in Jericho. Chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, he took of the accursed things 
And so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. One man. And now all of Israel has to suffer. And so Joshua, not even not knowing what had happened, uh, verse two. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Avon on the east side of Bethel and spoke to them, saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied it out. And like I mentioned to you, they came back with the report that small town, not a problem, sent about two, three thousand. We should be able to, to take the town. Well, they went up to fight Ai. And when they went up to fight Ai, they were uh, defeated. And they had to retreat. So they were running away from Ai back to the camp. Because the men of Ai had, had defeated Israel and killed 36 of their soldiers. And so here's Joshua and, and the other elders. They're left scratching their head. Like, what's, wait a minute, we just beat Jericho. And this little town, and we're sent running? So now he and the other elders are crying out to the Lord. They tear their clothes, you know, laying out, on, laying out in front of the altar, crying out to God, Lord, what's going on? How could this be? You sent us here to take the land, and now we're being defeated. What's going on? You promised us. You know, what, what's going to happen if we're defeated? What, what, and then Joshua goes as far as to say, you know, Lord, you know, this is for your name. You know, you're we're trying to make your name great. And it gets to, and the Lord gets to a point, he's like, okay, that's enough of that. And that's where we pick up at verse 10. In verses 10 and 11. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it amongst their own stuff. Look at that. Now, these and these verses tells you the seriousness of this offense. Not only did they sin, you know, the word sin uh, in the Hebrew means to miss the mark. Meaning that God had a standard and they didn't meet the standard. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. But he not only say that they sinned, he said that they what? They, they've stolen what, what, does, what does the Ten Commandments say? Thou shalt not steal. He also said that they deceived. The Bible said, thou shalt not what? Lie. And they even, and took them and put them amongst their own stuff. And, he, and they not only sinned, they transgressed. The word transgressed means crossing of the boundary. Means to go beyond. So they sinned and they transgressed. And again, keep in mind, who's responsible? Joshua. Joshua's responsible. He doesn't even know what happened. And so because he's responsible, who did God come to? Came to him. Because God put him in charge. Even though he didn't take these pagan items and, and things of value, it's because of the responsibility that was given to him. Now God is holding who accountable? Joshua. And he's holding him accountable to fix it. In verses 12 through 15, it says, Therefore, the children of Israel, they could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. 
Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Now, look at that. God's saying, I'm not going to be with you unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Uh, Verse 13, get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel. So he's giving Joshua instructions on what he needs to do. Sanctify is to set apart that Joshua is going to have to have everyone to come and stand before the Lord. There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Okay? Uh, In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to their family, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by household, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Now think about that. So this is what Joshua has to do. He has to go before all of Israel and to make it known to them in the morning, everybody's going to have to come. And then once everyone come, we're going to separate everybody according to their tribe. And then once that's done, we're going to separate according to the families. And I was trying to get, do like an uh, analogy of what that would be like. And I was thinking, like, we all, we've all gone to family reunions, right? And then uh, I know for myself, my great-grandmother was an oat, okay? And then she, uh, in having my grandmother, she was a Campbell through birth. And so, so in the tribe, I guess that would be the oats, and then, then you separate out the Campbells. And then from the Campbells, um, there were um, the McNeils. Separate them out of the Campbells. And then from the McNeils, you take each one, separate them out individually. So that's kind of how Joshua had to set, set everybody apart. Okay? And this is what God had commanded him to do in order to find out the guilty party. Now, what would happen if Joshua began to make excuses and didn't address the problem? Well, God said that he would would not be with him. Could you imagine what what life would be like without God's protection? Mm. Without God being there for you in times of need? having to face life on your own. And here they were in a hostile environment because they had already proclaimed war against the neighboring uh, people in those regions. And God said, unless you do this, you on your own. And we just saw what that little town of Ai did to them. Just imagine when the Amorites and, and the other Canaanites come together against Israel. And so, but that's what we do when we sin against God. We don't look at it in that way. When we sin against God, we leave place for the enemy, the Bible says. Paul says, don't leave a foothold for the enemy. Sin separates us from God. 
you know, we, we, in my Bible, um, Bible study, we were talking about prayer and looking at the verses. And one of the verses, you know, when the, it, the Bible says that, it says your sin, because of your sin, I will not hear you. And so if we're living in sin and we're crying out to God, guess what? He's not hearing us. So sin has to be dealt with. For one, for us to be back in fellowship with God. And secondly, for us to fulfill the will for which God has for us. But when we don't deal with it, we allow those strongholds to set in. And the longer we let it go, the more of a what? Grip the enemy has on our lives. It's kind of like you have a you have the uh, a bolt and you have the 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 uh, socket right the nut, and you tighten it down. Well, if after a day or so maybe you go back and you try to unloosen it, it comes right off. But the longer it sets there, metal to metal, what happens? It becomes tougher and tougher, right, to loosen. That's kind of how sin is in our lives. The longer we let it linger, the more difficult it becomes to deal with and to address. And so we, we have to know that the enemy can't do anything to us when we're walking in fellowship. And we're walking in the will of God. But when we step out of that, it's us against the enemy. Not God in us, but just us. That's uh, the song we sang in Congregational Praise um, was in the name of Jesus. That's where the victory is. That's where the power is. God wants us to live victorious. Amen. And so, and so that's not where Joshua wanted to be. He didn't want to be without God's protection. He wanted to please God. He wanted to make himself accountable to do what God had instructed him to do. And so in verses 16 through 18 of chapter 7, it says, So Joshua rose early in the morning, and he brought Israel by the tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. Okay. Remember, he's just working his way down. Then he brought his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi. So Zabdi was the grandfather. Carmi was the father. And then the son, the next was Achan. And Achan, the son of Carmi, who was the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, you see how it worked its way back up, was taken. And so now Joshua's standing there with who? With Achan. Now, is Joshua, um, is he like a, a, a um, what do you call those, a medius, um, medium or whatever, or a psychic or whatever? No. No, he's not. What did he have? He had the Lord God. And God showed him how to go about separating and separating and separating until he got to what? To the guilty party. And so in 19, now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. So now Achan is confronted with his sin. There's a thing about sin. Where in Numbers 32, 23, you don't have to go there. It says, and you may be assured 
that your sin will find you out. Think about that. Sin doesn't just go away. I used to use this on my kids growing up (laughs) when they were in school, and they would do something. But yet they didn't want to come to me to tell me. And my response would be, okay, don't worry about it. In time, in time, it'll get to me. And sure enough, it did. You know, somehow, some way, it'll find its way out. In Matthew 10, 26, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed and nothing hidden that will not be made known. Amen. We know that we know the parable that which is done in the dark, it will come to the light. Amen. I'm a firm believer of that. Amen. So I don't, I don't stress myself about playing detective. <laughs> you may get away with it once, but the problem with that is once you get away with it, you have a tendency to what? You want to do it again. And he's like, hey, that, hey, it's, everything's good. It's all good. Yeah. Okay. In time, it's going to come out. And so Achan's is now confronted with his sin. And so in uh, verses 19 to 21, now Joshua said to Achan, oh, I read 19, okay, 20, and Achan answered. He answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. This is his confession. When I saw amongst the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Now, Achan, he confessed. Uh, But look at all that he did. First thing, he said he what? He stole. Okay? Which is a commandment. Thou shalt not steal. And then he he coveted. Thou shalt not what? Covet. And then one of the most egregious things he did is that he robbed God. Because what did God say in chapter 6 concerning the precious metals? That they were to be taken and put where? In the treasury of the Lord. Achan had robbed God. Now, someone someone may say, well, but he, he confessed. But did he confess? (laughs) <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Sister Beverly. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He got found. He was found guilty before he confessed. Now, and if you recall, the, the the night before, the evening before, Joshua had spoken to all of what all of Israel, and he said, "In the morning, this is what's going to happen." So, if Achan was repentive, he could have what? He could have gone to Joshua that evening. Instead of having all of Israel to go through this. So, again, you know, it's kind of, again, what you what you say to your to your kids sometimes, you know, you know, you're not you're not uh, sincere. You just got caught. Right. You ever have those instances? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you weren't caught, you would have never what confessed it. All right. Now, getting to, the, to the, what I see here, a, a bigger problem in that Achan robbed God. And the reason I, I, I put emphasis on this is because some might say, well, that was bold and even crazy to steal from God. You think that's crazy? To steal from God? That's crazy. Well, 
if I, if I said to you that many of us rob God every Sunday, then how would you feel about that? You know, Malachi 3.8, he says, will a man rob God? And then he goes on to say, but you have robbed me. And they say, well, well, how have we robbed you? And he says, in the tithes and the offerings. The word tithe means 10, 10%. And I looked this up when I was putting the message together, a statistic. It says only 3 to 5% of Christians tithe. Only 3 to 5% of Christians tithe as the Bible instructs. Okay? You can't call it a tithe because the word tithe means tent. Now, and the others, Christians, only give 2.5 to 3% of their income to God. Between 2 and 3%. All right? Um, so I'm not going to harp on this, but I wanted to point out to you, you know, the whole thing about pointing fingers, right? You got what? All these pointing back at you, right? Amen. All right. Well, that whole tithe thing, we'll leave that for another day. Okay. All right. So now that the truth is out, Joshua is faced with another dilemma. And that's what to do about Achan's sin. Well, he could just accept his apology. Or maybe give him a slap on the hand. Don't do that again. Or, well, you know, okay. Just go put what you took, put it into the treasury, and we'll move on from here. Think that would suffice? No. No, because why? That's not what God told him to do. Okay? He can't can't apply human reasoning or human logic to the things of God. He has to do what God told him to do. All right? Because he is, again, responsible. And God came to him, what, directly and made him accountable for these things to be carried out. And so that means carrying out God's order. And so in verse 15, which I read, uh, was read previously, that meant total annihilation. Total annihilation. Destroy everything. Everything that he owned, get rid of it. So back then when, when God's judgment came down, he didn't, he didn't play. He did not mess around. How would you like to be living back in that time? No. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Amen. It's not always easy doing what God says or doing things God's way. Because sometimes people get hurt in the process. People we love, people we care about, Family, friends. You recall the story of of Abraham? Abraham, when God told Abraham to go and that he'd bless him and, and that as many as the stars, that's what his descendants would be. He went to a foreign land, didn't know where he was going. And then for years on end, uh, he and his wife, Sarah, couldn't conceive, which was what, she so desired. And God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a seed. But then God blesses him with a child, Isaac. And as soon as he is of, of age, God's like, okay, I want you to go sacrifice him. Wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't mix with human logic here, human reasoning. To kill my only son? My, my, the, the, the seed from my, my loins, 
how am I going to face my wife? <laughs> right? But Abraham, he didn't allow for his feelings and, 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 and his reasoning or any of that to get into, in the way. This is what God said do. This is what I'm going to do. And we know that Abraham took his young son Isaac with him. They went out up into the mountains, uh, got the sticks and everything. And you know, Isaac, he said, well, we got the fire and we got the wood. You know, where's the sacrifice? Abraham looks at him and said, the Lord should provide a lamb for the sacrifice. And the scripture says, I think it was Hebrews, it says that Abraham, in believing God, he believed that even if God took his son, that he would raise him up. So just imagine what great faith that takes to follow God, even when someone else may suffer, someone else may get hurt in the process, how it might impact us emotionally. But because God said it, what? He did it. And God, we know the story, God stepped in right on time. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Hold your place in Joshua because we're coming back. But this, here's a verse that I, I wanted everyone to have when you leave today that you can either think back on it, turn back to it, and read over it. And as you um, come across situations in which may be difficult for you and doing what God says because of how it impacts others. In Galatians chapter 1, in verse 10, and this is Paul speaking. He says in Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men, or God? Or do I speak, I mean, do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men... I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Think about that. When we make decisions, do we put more weight on the fact of how is, it, how is this going to be received by others? How is this going to affect my relationship with others? When our our boss or supervisor tell us to do something that we know is wrong, but we don't want to get in trouble or get fired or or put on a, a lowly menial job or what have you because we've angered somebody. Reflect on this verse. Who am I serving here? Am I seeking to please man or am I seeking to please God? Because if, I, if my desire was to please someone else, then I can't be, what, a servant of God. Because God comes first, amen? And if there's a consequence, then we have to just let it be what it is. As long as we're doing what God has called us to do, amen? And so... As much as it may have bothered Joshua to have to do what he did, he had to carry out God's command. He had to do it for his own well-being, and not just his, for the well-being of all of Israel. In verse 22 through 26 of chapter 7, Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in the tent, with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before before the Lord. So they went to Achan's tent and got all the stuff that he had stolen and brought it out before the whole congregation of Israel to show his guilt. Then, 24, Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, 
the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold. Now look at this. His sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep. What did they have to do with it? (laughs) His tent and all that he had. They brought them to the valley of Achor. And there, and Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all of Israel stoned him with stones. And they burnt them. Now you see that they burnt them with fire after they had stoned them with the stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day, which means trouble. The Valley of Trouble. Now, what are we to take away from this biblical example as it pertains to responsibility and accountability? First off, Israel as a whole was given the responsibility to what? To obey God and to conquer the land. That's what God told them. Secondly, Joshua individually was given a responsibility to lead the people. Even though he wasn't the one that sinned, he was in charge. And therefore, God came to him to make him accountable, to fix things and make it right. On the other hand now, Achan had a responsibility. He had the responsibility to protect his family. At which he failed miserably. When Joshua came to him to hold him accountable, he had no good reason. He only had what? Excuses. I saw them. And I coveted them. And therefore, he had to suffer the consequences of his action. He and his entire household. And this is what I wanted to drive, to drive home to you, hopefully today, is that our sins and our transgressions, they not only affect us, but they affect those around us and those closest to us. And if we don't deal with them, they can and usually have a lasting effect on us, on our families from generations to come. Some people believe in generational curse. I believe in generational consequences. And hopefully I'll highlight this a little more to you. (coughs) Issues such as infidelities, lying, deceiving others, stealing, harboring hard feelings toward one another. Bad attitude for family members and friends. These are sinful. They're all sinful. And yet, there are those of us who carry these. And for years, we carry them without dealing with them. Others are uh, addictions. They not only affect the person that's addicted, but they impact those around them, their families. It says four out of the six root causes for addiction are family-oriented. Think about that. There are six root causes for someone being addicted, and four out of those six are family-oriented, such as genetics. Um, a family history of addiction. If someone's in, the, in that family that is addicted to something, then it can impact someone else towards becoming addicted. Mental 
health uh, disorders, which is tied to genetics. You know, things like depression and anxiety, they can be passed down through generations. Difficult family situations, mental, physical abuse. We know that um, studies show that when someone is an abuser, there is a high percentage that growing up, they themselves, what, were abused. Whether mentally or physically and so these things have a trickle-down effect within the family structure. You name it, and the list goes on. But here's the thing. It's when we don't take responsibility and we don't make ourselves accountable for our actions and for our behaviors that these things begin to weigh on us. They weigh on us. And the, the longer we wait, that's where the depression starts to sink in. The anxiety, high blood pressure. You know, the doctor tells you, you know, would, would tell us, uh, for most of us all the time, is there some stress in your life? <laughs> Are there some things that you're dealing with that you need to, to, to get a handle on? Right? They continue to weigh on us physically. And they affect us psychologically. These issues will creep in. And as time goes on, they affect our daily living. We don't, we don't want to be around people. We begin to isolate ourselves from others. Is that what God wants for us? No. He wants us to live um, abundant lives, right? Isn't that what the scripture says? To live abundantly. And to, and to be a blessing to others. To love others. But we can't when we're, what, struggling and, and, and carrying all this weight and all these issues with us, these things that negatively impact us, impact us. Have you ever heard someone say concerning transgressions or, the, or their, their sins that, well, I'll take that one to the grave? You ever heard that? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it. And the truth is, if they don't deal with it, they definitely will. Yeah. Or what about this? Well, well, this between me and God. Right? Or how about this one? You probably never heard this one. Well, I'm too old to change. <laughs> I've been this way all my life, you know. I, I don't care if people don't like coming around me. They don't like the way I talk. They don't like the way I, you know, express myself. I'm too old to change. But these are all Satan's way of keeping us in bondage. Because he doesn't want us to, to experience what God has for us. And remember, the excuses are only used when we don't want to make ourselves accountable. We have to realize that our sins and our struggles, they have lasting consequences. And in the case of Achan, his sin cost him his life and the life of his family. Can you imagine that? That your spouse and your children lost their lives because of something you did. How much does, could that, does that weigh on a person? that their lives were cut short and that they didn't have the opportunities to realize and experience the goodness of God. All because of your actions. So now for the good news. It's never too late for a new start. Amen? Amen. Never too late. Because we serve a God of a second chance. Amen? Amen. And in Romans 5.20, says, where sin abounds, grace abounded much more. Amen. Whatever you've done, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, God has sufficient grace to forgive. 
and to, and to give you the victory for which you, for which you desire. But some, one might say, well, but I didn't cause my situation. The hurt I'm dealing with, it was done to me by someone else. I'm not the one that sinned. Someone sinned against me. But yet I'm still carrying it. Well, Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We have to what? Forgive. We have to. Even as difficult or hard as it may be, in order for us to live for God, we have to forgive and give it over to him. Healing only begins when we learn to forgive. We don't have to become victim of our circumstances. God has called for us to live victorious lives and not defeated ones. And the Bible says, so let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking where? Unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? And if we mess up, after we've, been, after we've been forgiven or given, forgiven those. It says if we mess up, we can come before our gracious God and confess it. Amen? First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I, I really like this last one here. In Proverbs 24.16, he says, for though a righteous man falls seven times, he will get up. Amen? Amen. 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 So I pray that you were blessed by this message. And like I said at the beginning, if there be just one person that is carrying a weight and God wants to deliver you from that, bring it before the Lord and lay it at his feet. For he alone can give you that deliverance. The Bible says, for he who the Son sets free is what? Is free indeed. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, uh, we thank you for the biblical examples. Lord, uh, you, you place these in your word so that we, Lord, uh, would not go down those same paths. Uh, and Lord, that knowing that... Um, that our, our lives are an open book before you. And Lord, that which is done, uh, you see all things. And Lord, let us not uh, hide anything from you. But Father, we ask that you search our hearts. Uh, Lord, if there are areas in our hearts to where we have sinned or, or transgressed, gone beyond, Lord, um, that which you allow, uh, we ask that you would forgive us and that you would cleanse us, Lord, um, so that we can be a blessing um, to others and be used by you, Lord. Um, Father, for it's not, it's not our desire um, to bring upon consequences up, upon our loved ones. And Father, and so we just ask that you would fix us, Lord. Uh, fix us from the inside out. And Lord, that you would make known to us those areas that we struggle, that we can bring them before you and, and receive uh, the grace that you offer. And so, Lord, we just thank you again uh, for this message, and we pray that uh, for, for that one, Lord, um, for whom you, you desire or those for whom you desire, that you would use it, Lord, uh, to begin that change. And for you are Jesus. You are the author. And we know that, that, the, that the story is not completed and that there is work still to be done and that, you, and that your word says that you will complete it until the day on which you return. And so, Lord, the work that you still have for us, uh, Lord, we ask that you will remove all the stumbling blocks, all the strongholds, all those areas, Lord, which the enemy has built up um, 
those strongholds and, and, and blocks uh, that we can be used by you and for you and for your purpose. We just thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.